Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. Uh, I'm Tim Ryder from Mesmerized. We have a very special guest to discuss all the all the goings on in uh, in Flushing today. Uh, beat writer for the Bergen Record, uh, Justin Toscano. Justin, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Tim. I mean, it's uh, it's good to be on, man. I like um, obviously like you over Twitter and uh, love your passion for the team and and all things Mets. It's um, man, it's a lot of pressure. I mean, I'm on on a really packed day, but uh, now I appreciate you having me on, man. Definitely, man. Uh, I think we've. I was looking forward to this on my end, but uh, this is going to be fun. We have a lot to discuss, uh, as everyone's well aware by now. The hammer came down on Carlos Beltran today. His tenure as Mets manager ended before his tenure as Mets manager actually begun. Uh, began. So uh, another another definite Mets moment in the uh, in the franchise's history. Um, I guess you know we can recap everything that happened. Um, Justin, my big question here is: Was this necessary? Did the Mets have to cut ties with uh, with Carlos Beltran? No, I, um, you know, through this week, I didn't think it was necessary. My thought was, hey, if you see, you know, you go Monday, you see the report, you deal with that in-house, you go to, you go to Beltron, and then Tuesday, you put out a statement backing him. I think he still faces the questions, but I think this all dies down sooner than later. But once you have that Tuesday silence and then that Wednesday silence, then I think at that point, it's like, if you're going to wait that long, then yeah, they had to do it because it already seemed like they were at least deliberating about it. And if you hear them talk about it, just not wanting the distraction for a team that they think is built to win now, it does make sense, especially because Beltron look like for all of his skill set and what, what he would have brought to the position He hadn't managed a game yet. It's not like you're moving on from a legend who had, you know, guided the franchise to three World Series and, you know, the decade he was there or something like that, you know. So I think it's a lot easier to justify parting with somebody who had managed a game because even if the future seemed promising, look, with a scandal like this, that um, that seems like now it's kind of sport shattering around baseball. Uh, you don't want to be tied to something like that. So I think from that sense, the Mets felt like they, they had to do it. Now, I would, when I let off answering your question, mentioning, you know, you back him up, I think that's the way they could have gone if they really wanted to salvage it. Like I, but once you, once you wait on silent and, you know, you create the organizational silence, that's like PR suicide if you were going to keep him. So, I mean, from what their values, what they say their values are and what they wanted, which is to have a distractions free environment. I think they had to do this because, you know, you look at a team that was unfortunately pulled into a scandal that it, you know, it didn't even, didn't even know about when it hired Beltron. And, um, you know, you don't, you don't want that lingering over you. It's better to just set the precedent. I agree. And it, it definitely took some time for me to come to that point. Um, I think the fan base, was so excited and, and galvanized by the hire. I, I mean, and this is a tough fan base to please every corner. And the general consensus was this was just a great hire. It rejuvenated the fan base. Uh, it brought an air of excitement to to Flushing when, at a time that this team really needed it. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, 
I agree with you 100% that if they would have got out ahead of this thing and showed support for their manager, um, there's a high probability that, yes, this could have just blown over. I think now that we're starting to see more details come out, um, I don't know if you just saw on Twitter, uh, we're recording this at around 8.30 on Thursday night, Tommy Pham from the Padres, uh, he posted a zoomed-in photo of what could maybe possibly be a, uh, an electronic device in Jose Altuve's jersey. Um, it just yeah. seems like things are getting more widespread by the minute. Um, I, for the first time in the last few days, I actually sat down before we started recording, and I, I felt a breath of re- relief as a fan that maybe this is a good thing, that this cloud's not going to be hanging over us. Um, now, where does the team go from here? That's the question. If, yes, they have to find a manager, and we'll discuss that. Um, are you, do you think this is going to be tough for the, the 26 guys in the clubhouse to kind of reset? I, I I assume it's going to be easier, considering they never really got started, but um, <laughs> you have to kind of shift gears. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, look, like for – for everything that Beltron was going to bring the position to the position for everything that we heard that appealed to the Mets. I think the relationship building was the strongest part. And he said from day one that he was going to start building those, start calling guys, go, you know, start to visit them when they're working out. And he, you know, he had set up like for people to go see um, Edwin Diaz and he'd like known things about Jerry's familiar. Like it seemed like he was on that track and he's, already got the respect from the guys from playing two decades look that's what all those guys aspire to do all 26 guys want to have a career like that you know so the instant respect was there so I think for them it's probably a little bit of a bummer but look they never got started so I don't think you know unless other than the guys who might have a closer relationship to him like the Canoes of the world I don't think anybody's probably you know like angered or like really really aggravated by this i i mean it'd be tough to say you know without talking to any of the the players or being around that clubhouse right now because we're not in season but um i thought you made a great point because i thought the same thing about the altuve stuff that's coming out today i think when mets fans especially because like i said earlier he hadn't even managed a game and i think when mets fans look back in a year or two if the Mets make the right hire to replace Carlos Beltran, I think this could be a win for them and very relieving, like you said, because, look, you don't want to be caught up in something where you show support for the guy and then much, 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 much more comes out, you know, and that's like it's an awkward position to be in. And I think the Mets, from that perspective, made a smart decision by just cutting ties. And now they don't have anybody involved in that scandal. You know, obviously, J.D. Davis and Jake Marisnik were, were players, but, you know, they're on the Mets now, but they don't have anybody in leadership positions involved in that. And so, like, I think that's going to be the most important part. And um, and the guys transitioning, too, is like if you, you know, now this is just behind them. There's no threat of this ever popping up again. Like the Mets know what they're dealing with. And look, I think maybe, you know, Brody Van Wagner and Jeff Wilpon declined to, um, to say the specifics of their just their meeting with MLB on Wednesday at the commissioner's office. But, you know, who knows what they could have told them to the extent of Carlos Belcher. You know, it's like we don't we don't know. And so um, from that perspective, I think the players will realize, too, that this is a lot better going forward to have a distraction free zone than for them to have to answer questions about this all the time, because that's the way it works. Like, 
you know, in spring training, people, you know, like folks like myself would ask questions and, and whatnot about it. But then the regular beat people start to taper off. But then you have the people who come around, you know, sparingly or a couple times a year and they haven't been around yet. So they're asking questions about it, you know, and suddenly you're answering questions about it for half the year, a whole year. And then if the Mets do well, um, you know, people accuse them of cheating or something, you know, like, so I think the players probably realize that too. They're grown men. I think like it's better for them to not have a distraction because they were involved with any of this stuff. So why should they be punished in that? Right. If that makes sense. Oh, definitely. It certainly makes sense. And I think, like you said, these guys are professionals. Um, from strictly a fan standpoint, it, it was extremely disappointing to see this all go down um, as it did. For the players, you know, whoever the Mets decide to um, to plug in there, and, and they have options, and I think that's what we're going to touch on next, uh, you know, they just have to keep their heads down and, and, and play ball because the talent's here and you know, you have to feel for a guy like Dylan Betances who uh, made it publicly known how much, uh, how important Beltron was to the process of him signing with the Mets. But, yeah. um, you know, he still has a lot to prove coming off of injury, and uh, I don't think it's going to matter who's sitting in the, the front spot of the bench uh, come opening day. Uh, it, it's just it's time to get to work, and, and that's a, I guess that's the fun aspect of it, that in a couple of weeks – just from a fan standpoint, this is all going to be blown over because pitchers and catchers are going to be reporting and Grapefruit League and all that fun stuff. But before we get to that that fun time, uh, <laughs> the Mets are, are going to have to pick a manager. Um, yeah. They have some nice in-house candidates. Uh, they have a couple of interviewees that uh, didn't, of course, didn't end up being selected that are, are appealing to an extent. Uh, you have a couple of wild cards here, experienced veterans. Um, did you hear Joe McEwing? I guess uh, Mike Puma from the New York Post brought up Joe McEwing's name this afternoon. Uh, he, I guess he used the, the word dream job uh, in, uh, I guess, describing what this would be to uh, to McEwing, who was a Met, of course, back in the uh, late 90s and 2000s, early 2000s. I mean... <sighs> Between Luis Rojas, Hensley Mullins, uh, Tony DeFrancesco, uh, do you feel that an in-house selection might just be the best course of action for this team right now, considering there's such little time before they have to get started? And I guess familiar, uh, uh, being familiar with the roster and the system is really kind of of, of utmost importance at this point. Yeah, I do. And, um, I think when you look at a situation like this where, uh, let's say, weather the storm is like kind of the cliche everybody's been using, I think you would look to like a Buck Showalter or, you know, like a John Gibbons or something, Dusty Baker, something like that. That would be conventional thinking, right? But I think with how you look at how, if you look at how the Mets set up their staff to support a first time manager, I think you, I like, I think a really appealing option is Luis Rojas. Look, obviously, you're not going to replicate the same skill set that you would have gotten in Carlos Beltran, but I think that's a guy who is only 38. He's been with the Mets for a while, you know, in the organization, and he's up with the trends on baseball, especially because with his quality, you know, control coach role, it was his job to present those numbers, you know, be that bridge between the front office with those analytics and then the coaching staff. So how can they be applied? And that was really so much of what we had heard from 
you know, Brody Van Wagner in the front office on Carlos Beltran was that was his whole appeal is that because he can relate to players, he is going to be able to show them the analytics, what he used to call, you know, numbers and show them why they should be used, how they could extend careers, how they could make these player these guys more money. So I think Luis Rojas gives you a lot of that. And um, it might be crazy to say, but I think like, I don't think people around baseball are giving the Mets roster enough credit. Like, I think it's a really talented group. I mean, if you, if you get some of the guys, you know, maybe Pete Alonso doesn't hit 53 home runs, but if he produces offensively somewhat like he did last year and, and JD Davis does, and then you have the rest of the core that they had and the starting pitching is like it was last year. And then maybe Edwin Diaz and Jerry Familia turn a corner. Like you've got a scary ball club. And I think that with all the talent there, I think if you plug Luis Rojas in, it gives him a little bit of an easier chance. He already knows the guys on the team. You know, he's been around him a lot. And he, you know, even coached guys like McNeil and Alonzo in double A. And um, and so then you have you have him there and you still have, you know, Mullins as the bench coach. And then you still have a couple, you know, other veterans on that coaching staff. Um, that seems like most appealing to, to me, like something that I would think would maybe work best or would maybe be most likely. But I could see, you know, Hensley taking over to um, to your original point. I just do think that when you're in this type of spot, I did really like the coaching staff the Mets put together around Beltron. And I would stick with one of those guys. Like even if it's Tony DeFrancesso, it's like he's been in the organization. He knows a lot of the players kind of the same as, you know, Rojas. And I think um, that's a little more sure to me. Like you can structure that a little better than bringing somebody in a couple weeks before, even if you've already interviewed him, that person hasn't done the time making the relationships, you know? And I think, um, I think the Mets have a have a good handful of internal candidates that I don't think they should should pass up on because I think those are guys who would who would fit this role, especially because you don't have a rebuilding team, uh, a team that's in a complete rebuild at least. You know they're trying to get better and, and push to contention, but um, I think you've got a talented roster, so I think an internal candidate would work in this situation. Uh, as do I. I. I know that the Mets have really been uh, uh made an effort to become a more analytically driven ball club. Uh, I think the hire of Jeremy Hefner was huge for the coaching staff. Yeah. Um, let's. I know um, Hensley's name, uh, Mullen's name has been brought up uh, in the Boston managerial search to replace yeah. Alex Cora. Uh, and let's say, you know, hypothetically uh, Hensley Mullins does depart um, if he's not offered the job here, which <laughs> I guess, as we were just saying, between him, Rojas, and DeFrancesco, you have to think that there's enough knowledge and familiarity with this roster that they can make something work. Um, if Mullins is gone, I I, I kind of have to agree with you that Rojas, Rojas is the guy here. Uh, just being that conduit of information last year, um, being able to translate it from the front office to the coaching staff, which I guess that middleman – you know, it served a purpose, but if you can cut out the middleman, that's a, it's kind of a more streamlined effort. And, um, like you said, it, this is, uh, a staff kind of built for this. It's built to relay information. And if you could do that accurately and efficiently, it's a, it's a plus for everybody. Um, as for the roster, and I agree with you 100%, there's a lot of talent here. Do you think that they've done enough to, I guess, key pace 
with a very, very tough National League East, which arguably could be the toughest division in baseball, right? Yeah, I mean, if you looked at the roster at the beginning of um, the offseason, it was like, okay, well, Rendon's not going to be in Washington. Um, Braves will lose, like, Donaldson. And, uh, you know, the, the Nats might lose Strasburg, too. And it's like, then, and, and so you think about the Mets in the second half that they had. Yes, that's not indicative of everything they can do because they still had those bumps in the first half. But, I mean, now you look at that, I see the, I see the same thing as you. I'm like, wow. The Braves just got better and better and better. The Nats got better and better and better. I don't know that the Mets got drastically better uh, roster-wise, but I think they can keep pace because if Edwin Diaz doesn't, you know, go bombs away like he did last year and, and he's kind of his normal self, I think that helps you a lot. If Jerry's Familia isn't, you know, a waste of that contract. I think he can help you a little bit. And I do like the bullpen now much more that you add a guy like Batances. I think um, I think that's really going to help because you solidify, you know, another one of those roles with a guy who was proven, a guy who still has a lot to prove. You don't know what he's going to be like after the injuries. But I think that was a great pickup. I mean, for what they got him for, the price, I mean, it was – that was terrific. Um one of the underrated things is I know that everybody wanted them to replace Zach Wheeler with a, a guy who was, com, you know, on par or better. But I do think, I do think they did well in getting both Porcello and Michael Walker because I mean, you you think about the odd man out of that competition that you know may as well include Stephen Matz too if he's got consistency issues in spring training. That odd, you know, that odd man out is going to go to the bullpen, and I think that'll you know help strengthen the bullpen too. And it's like. I think that this roster, with another year of experience for a lot of these guys under their belts, another offseason, I do think they can keep pace. Now, it's going to take a superhuman performance from the rotation because that's how the Mets are built. I think they're going to need that second-half type rotation performance that they had last year. I don't think they're going to be able to withstand it or score enough runs if they if they're, you know guys like DeGrom and Syndergaard are struggling. But I do think that the Mets have kept pace. Maybe they won't be favorites, but I don't think they're long shots. You know, like I think, I think they can compete. And I know there are a lot of people that wouldn't agree because they didn't go out and spend two hundred million, three hundred million on players. But I think that they do have a talented roster, and I really, really like. You know, obviously the amending of Cespedes' contract. I think um, obviously that grievance was always in the works before we all knew about it. But um, I think that. That at least allows them some some flexibility, but with what Brody had to work with, I think he did a good job because we're, I mean I feel like we all have to remember that it's not him calling the shots on breaking the luxury tax threshold. You know, it's like he he had to be pretty creative with a little bit of you know a little wiggle room to work with and um, not a ton. And I think that the Mets have done enough. So where if they don't have any bad months, like June has haunted them the past couple of years, um, if they don't have a terrible month, I think they can keep pace. You know, I, I really, I really do. Um, I, I think they can. And I, you know, of course, we none of us would argue with another addition, maybe another reinforcement in the bullpen, possibly a center fielder to platoon with Nimmo. Um, it doesn't have to be Starling Marte, but. If the Mets want to um, sway public opinion at this point, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe 
making an effort, maybe going over that luxury tax threshold could be in the works. There's still some um, intriguing names out there, a backup catcher that, you know, could uh, could complement Wilson Ramos um, in a trade. I, I brought up Austin Hedges last week for Mesmerized. I think that would be a, a, a huge addition. And Yeah, you're I, not going to find a better defensive yeah. option. Yeah, oh, no, have. for sure. And I, I actually like Manuel Margot out in San Diego, too. Uh, he crushes left-handed pitching. He's a terrific defensive center fielder. Um, I'd certainly be curious to find out what A.J. Preller would want in a package deal for those two. Um, they're both young, young-ish, uh, certainly affordable. I, I don't think either is going to be a free agent until 2023. Um, <laughs> you know, hey. The Mets don't have many prospects to play with, and I'd hate to see them draw from uh, the core of the tier because the talent yeah. quotient, the talent quotient that is here, um, it's impressive. And it, it, there are a lot of ifs. And I know Brody said no more ifs, but there's a bunch of ifs. Uh, Ahmed Rosario needs to continue on his trajectory. J.D. Davis has to prove that his uh, his 2019 wasn't just uh, a lot of luck, as his BABIP might suggest. Hi, Matt's daddy. I hope you're listening. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, Matt's daddy's a big proponent of uh, of maybe that's just a BABIP mirage, but we shall uh. see. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of you know rotation, like you said. Are we going to get 30 starts out of our rotation again? Uh, is Porcello going to pan out? Is Waka? Where's he going to land? Can Matt's replicate his second half success? Because uh, he had quite a run in the second half last year. Uh, he got beat up a couple of times. It inflated his second half ERA, but uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me. His walks were down considerably in the second half, and I think that's a big, um, uh, big catalyst for his success is his control. But there's a lot of question marks still. Um, if everyone plays to their potential – and everyone stays healthy, which, again, two huge ifs. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Mets break 90 wins this year. Um, and, but it's going to take help, and it's going to take uh, maybe not another 46-26 run like they had in the second half last year. Um, is that within reach? Sure. Is it to be expected? I wouldn't go that far. But I think there's enough here that the Mets can seriously uh, contend at least in the NL East, if they can get into a wild card, you know, we've all seen what a wild card team can do if they get out at the right time. Uh, this rotation in a postseason series, I know I'm getting way ahead of myself. Uh, <laughs> this rotation in a postseason series would still be um, absolutely daunting. DeGrom, Syndergaard, Stroman, just I'm going to say, I'm going to assume those are the top three. Um, that's not a, you know, that's not a top three I want to face in any five or seven game series. But, you know, the Mets have to have some things fall their way this year. Uh, I think health, like you said, is going to be a big part of that. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would say so. And like from looking at it, like uh, while I do think they've done enough to keep pace, like Washington, Atlanta just seem like better right now, you know, like more talented, more proven talent. But I think. Like the Mets, like you said, I think it starts with the rotation. And anytime you have a rotation with the top three like that, it's like you're you're covered, you know, for half of the week almost. And it, you know, you don't you know what you're getting out of Degrom. If Syndergaard returns to form, like we know, you know, he can pitch. 
that'll be good. Marcus Stroman has tweeted about a million times about how he's going to quote unquote turn up in 2020. So if we see that, I mean, it, it's going to be a scary, you know, front end. And like you said, man, it's like the postseason. Um, yeah, it's way ahead of us right now, but it, it would be a shame to not see the rotation, this rotation pitch in the postseason because it's like, you know, like anything can happen. When you have a rotation like that, that's the type of rotation that can carry a team against maybe a lineup that's a little more talented because it's shutting down hitters left and right. But I think uh, it's going to take a lot of health, you know, health luck because, you know, they can't really – I don't know if they can suffer, you know, kind of the fate they did with Cano last year. They definitely can't have Nimmo out for that long. Hopefully Conforto isn't as banged up as he was in spots last year because that's going to be big. They don't have a ton of outfield depth. Um, I mean, I guess they could if Cespedes is healthy and will give them something. But, um, you know, Jake Marisnik is a good backup option, but I, I agree I still like – if they were going to break the luxury tag, you know, break into that, like a, they still need another good outfielder. I think that's like still something they would, they would need. And we still don't know if third base is going to play. Like we still don't know how Jed Lauer, you know, what he's going to be able to give after basically a year off. And so um, a lot of question marks, but I do think whenever you have a rotation like that, I think you have a chance. And uh, from that sense, I know a lot of people thought it was dumb to trade those prospects for Stroman. But I think that's what they were doing is like, you know, that if you want to contend, you're going to need a rotation like that. You just can't like that rotation, you know, wins World Series. So that's kind of like the start of it. And I think, um, I mean, yeah, like you said, it, I wouldn't want to face those three guys. And, uh, you know, because that's a rotation that'll scare a team that, you know, if the Mets come in with 90 wins and somebody's got 100, that road, those top, that top three is going to scare that 100 win team. Oh, I mean, case in point, um, look at the Nationals last year. Yeah. That is that is an elite starting rotation uh, up against quite possibly the toughest, well, <laughs> the toughest offensive team in the league last season in the Astros. And, um, yeah, good pitching will shut down good hitting. It's a game of numbers. It's a game of odds. And uh, the odds say that two out of ten times, you're, you're probably not going to get a hit against Max Scherzer. It's just, <laughs> well, you, you know what I'm saying. But yeah, that's, um, yeah. you know, it, the, the, the the foundation is in place. Um, you know, you just need top performances from all these people. And a little extra help would uh, would be uh, good to, it would certainly uh, assist the cause. But uh, I guess now would be the time. Put put a smile back on Mets fans' faces and, and go go make a move. Get this uh, get this team geared up, ready to go. Yeah, yeah, I do think. Um, obviously, that's ownership's decision, but I do think you know Brody for what he's been dealt. Obviously, he'd love to have you know the luxury of breaking breaking over two hundred eight million for the payroll, but um, I think he's done well with what you know the opportunity that he's he's had. Um, but obviously, yeah, it's like if you want to win over Mets, it's just like the the tax isn't even that much for, you know, first-time offenders. I think it's like 10% for first-time offenders. So it's like you're not like, come on now. But, you know, a lot of this also you have Cohen waiting in the wings, so we'll see what happens with that. I mean, that could be the time when, when things really change. But I get it. Like for Met fans, it's like you're in the market with the team. You know, you're supposed to – you're in the biggest market. You're supposed to be a big market team. But you don't act like one. And to even further, you know, the pain 
the Yankees across town are getting people for $320 million. And it's like <laughs> the Mets, the Mets have to get told, you know, year in, year out that they're getting these, you know, guys that are, that are cheap, but have potential. And it's like, I get it at some point. Like I agree, like in this game, you've, you've got to have talent and they're going to have to make a splash at some point. Like they're going to have to be in the running for some of these, like if they want to change the course, you know, like change the narrative, that's what it's going to take. Well, I think in in all fairness, I think Brody, in a perfect world, sure they were questionable questionable moves that he made signing Lowry, trading away prospects for Cano and Diaz. In a perfect world, if those moves worked out last season, it could have been a completely different year. If they work out this year, it could be a very very good season. I don't think I, I agree with you that that Brody, under the circumstances, has done. An okay job. He definitely hit the jackpot on J.D. Davis. Um, He took a gamble on Stroman. Um, I like Marcus Stroman. I think he's going to be an asset to this roster. Uh, We'll see how Anthony Kay and um, uh, Simeon Woods-Richardson pan out up in Toronto. But um, those are two very promising arms. I'm I'm still rooting for him as a fan, but, but we shall see. I, I just – I'm trying to figure out how to put this. I I guess you put it perfectly. Um, I The penalty for going over, like you said, it's a, it's a percentage on the overage, which works out to be, you know, peanuts in the grand scheme of things. Oh, yeah, for what these guys make, yeah. I, it just I, – you, do you remember 2005 around here, I'm sure? You know, <laughs> Pedro Martinez, Carlos Beltran, Billy Wagner, I mean – the Mets were at a time, you know, willing to go out there and spend money. And yes, we, we all know maybe why the reason they were going out there and able to spend all this money. But um <laughs> and and why that changed, but this is neither the time nor place to get into all that. But um you know, that sense of excitement, uh, we missed that. And to tie us back into the Beltran hiring, that was almost a, a nostalgic callback to that and it brought that excitement back. I think at this point, and I, I, I know they have very limited funds to work with, but um, now on top of everything, going over that luxury tax threshold to actually make a splash with whatever's left out there uh, in on the open market, which there's still some viable parts out there. Um, I, I think now might be the best time to do it. Just, hey, guys, let's make a push. Yeah, maybe we messed up and we stepped in something that we didn't see and, you know – now I know that it's tough. For you. It might be tough for you to answer this, but um, do you think Brody's being totally honest when he says that he had no prior knowledge of uh, of what was going on in Houston? Oh man, um, God! If you put a gun to my head, I would say no. I think um, I think from the sense of. You know, like he, he had this comment where like there were, there were five different, about five different times where he said that they had no idea of anything going on and like they hadn't heard those rumblings. And one time he said, hadn't heard him, you know, at least from a credible source that anything was going on. So I think like, look, these guys are in baseball, the game every day. He's good. You know, like he being a former agent, he is in the know and, you know, general managers are in the know. Baseball people are in the know. So it's like, I think you hear these rumblings, like I think 
they definitely would have reached Brody at some point where it's like, huh, that's interesting. Like, oh, hey, man, I heard they're, you know, I heard so-and-so said this, like, kind of weird out there, you know. And, but I, do, I just don't think, like, and I'm not saying he's, like, this blatant liar. I'm just saying that for the purpose of the questions he was answering today, it was probably best to say that he didn't know anything. Maybe, you know, maybe he doesn't know anything. But I think he had maybe heard those come across those rumblings. But they were never from any credible source that he could verify during the hiring process, because that was my thing is that like the Mets, a lot of people will crush them. But like, I don't think they're too at fault here just because it's like they couldn't have known to ask about all this stuff during the hiring process. Like you hear rumblings like heck, a couple of the Mets, you know, I was talking to a lot like the Mets thought the Dodgers were stealing signs last year in L.A., you know, yeah. like they said, maybe it wasn't illegally. You know, that they said that on record, maybe they didn't have an illegal method, but it's like they did their research. They know what's, you know, they they're good at that. So it's like I think these guys all hear rumblings, especially because everybody in baseball tries to get an advantage, you know. But mm-hmm. um, but I don't think it was to the point where they needed to ask him about anything during the hiring process. Now, what I do find egregious is that after the report from The Athletic dropped, it is just. I don't know, you know, maybe they weren't sharing the full details of this either, but to me it is reckless and irresponsible to not go to your employee and ask him because they could have gotten in front of the story then too, you know, Yeah. like by saying, hey, what are you going to tell MLB? What did you do? Tell us now so we can work through it and whatnot. And so you have two months rather than you get this report. That just seems, that just seems to me like I, I can't wrap my head around the explanation that they wanted to defer to MLB. And that's the one thing the Mets for as many of these stupid PR snap boos that they have, this one <laughs> was not their fault, but it was their fault to not ask him about it. That's egregious. In my opinion, I can't understand why they didn't even ask him about it after the report dropped. He's your employee. You go down, you know, you, it's so easy to ask him about it. And that was like what I couldn't wrap my head around is like, why wouldn't you, you know, wouldn't you just want to know? Oh, of course. And I think there's so much of this, that there's so much of this whole scenario that it's going to take so long for us to, to learn about it. If we ever do learn about the entire process or, or situation. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a doozy. I think the, um, the credible source is going to be, Brody's loophole. He's a very smart guy. I mean, he's Stanford educated. He's oh. uh, he was an agent. He, he's very successful, uh, brilliant guy. But um, yeah, I mean, that's going to be his um, the, the credible source. And you know, we we all heard rumblings, but where they're coming from, who's putting those rumblings out? Those are you know, those are viable legs to stand on when you say I don't know what to believe. So, um, again, you can't fault the Mets for finding themselves in this situation initially, how they handled it, questionable at best. But, um, we're hey, we're past it now. I think everyone just has to turn the page. You know, fans, the team, everybody, you know, it's, you know, we move forward. That's all we can do. Yeah, I think that's um, like we were talking about earlier. I mean, they, somehow they backed themselves into a corner and managed to, like, kind of botch the situation by like staying silent. But like, I think in the end, I mean, I think they did the right thing. Cause if you asked me if Carlos Beltran should have lost his job, it'd be like, yeah, no, you could keep him. Like, that's what I said all week. Like if you get ahead of the story, you can keep him, just support him. It's all going to die down.
but hey, like now you don't have anything to worry about. Like his fans, presumably, like, you know, like if, if I were a Mets fan, like I would be, you know, like you said, feeling relieved. Like now you're never going to have to worry about a report coming out about, oh, the Mets supported Beltron, but look what we found out two months later. Like with, look what's getting reported two months later that he did this, 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 and that, and that it extended to this and oh, and so you do, you just don't know. And I think they were protecting themselves from what could happen, you know? And I think, uh, I think it's their right because for a team, like we've said, that has had such a bad image at times that is conscious of its image, but has had a bad image to people at times, I think this was a way to send a message that like, Hey, we're not going to distract our players and be an embarrassment to our fans. Like, I think it was honestly a service to fans too, that they did this because like, you don't want to root for it. Like a lot, what a lot of people were saying, like, you don't want to root for a team that has a cheater at the helm. And like, I thought it was like, fine. I thought it was like, would be forgivable. You know, people make mistakes. He was just a former player. Um, Nobody else did anything about it. You know, all the players were using it, uh, which I know always isn't, isn't always an excuse. But so I thought it could have been dealt with. But I mean, hey, at least in this situation, if you're a fan, you don't really have to worry, you know? Yeah, I, the initial disappointment's definitely um, starting to settle away. And I, I think, yeah, I think I'm on board with that. This is just, uh, you know, it, it's like we said, it's a relief. But uh I guess we'll have to see what happens next. But I think that's all we have for tonight, man. Um, Justin, again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, where can everyone find you uh, on social media? Oh, yeah. So uh, on Twitter, it's uh, Justin C, like the letter C, and then my last name's Toscano. So it's T-O-S and then C-A-N-O. So that's my Twitter handle. Um, and then they'll probably see it when this gets posted. And um then on Instagram, it's just Justin Toscano writes. So, uh, yeah, I, either of those, I mean, would, would work. But yeah, I guess, uh, I guess I'll be a little more active on Twitter. I didn't expect to be super active during January, but hey, man, that's how the dice roll with this team, I guess. <laughs> Here we are, indeed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, ha- I have to ask, how was your first season on the beat? Oh, it was, yeah, it was eventful. You know, it's like you never expect to come in. Like, I'm only 23 years old and I had been around like, for an MLB.com internship, like covering the D-backs. And it was like pretty normal for, you know, when I was around there. But like, then you get to the Mets beat and it's like, oh, a manager yells at a reporter, uh, a player threatens a reporter. Um, we have this thing happen where there's two managerial searches in the span of like two and a half months. And that, uh, yeah, so it was eventful, man. It's like never, uh, um, never a dull moment, which is, which is good. But, uh, and also the fan base is just a lot more passionate than than really you get at most other places. Like maybe you guys don't notice it as much because you are like Mets fans, but I think like Mets fans for sure um as passionate as you're gonna find. So that's cool seeing everybody like Mets Twitter. Like everybody talks about Mets Twitter like it's a bad thing. But I think it's cool that y'all all interact and everybody um is into every game, you know, because baseball is such a long season, but it's like if it's like this now, I always think about this. If it's like this now, I can't imagine how it's going to be when the Mets are really good or when they land a couple big free agents and are having a heck of a summer and flushing. You know, it's going to be the fan support is crazy. Like they're lucky to have so many, so many diehard fans, regardless of what they've put their fans through. Uh, this generation of Mets fans, um, when this team wins the World Series, 
it's going to be a, a legendary party, <laughs> just legendary. Because you know this this fan base has been waiting to explode for a long, long time. Uh, oh, Twenty fifteen, the magic of that season, uh, we all still feel it, and um, even from afar, the the energy here, even from Mets fans, from Yankees fans, everybody was just you know psyched for the Mets, and it was uh, it was an exciting time, and it, it'll come again soon. It's that's the way sports work is that usually it's circular. And if you're in a big market, you've got a good shot to to pull around one of those, you know, talented rosters and, and have a great season. It's uh, but yeah, man, I know Mets fans are waiting to explode. I was doing that all decade thing. And it was uh, it was just like you don't realize how much terrible things have happened until you look at like Matt Harvey. And then you look at David Wright ravaged by injuries, um, the whole like. Like Mr. Met flipping so like just like these stupid things and like unfortunate <laughs> things and like Lucas Duda's throw and uh Jerry's familia's meltdown and it's like man, yeah, like you like you said, once it actually happens, man, it's gonna the party's gonna last until until pitchers and catchers report the next February. Well, I'm gonna have to wait till till then because I'm pretty sure you just bummed me out going through that whole list of uh uh, of atrocities that's happened to the Mets in the past decade. <laughs> oh, God. It looks I, like it's coming up, man. Got a Cy Young, a Rookie of the Year. Yeah. Maybe, no, I, maybe I was, a new manager. I was doing okay until you said Lucas Duda's throw, and then my heart just sank. <laughs> that was like, I, you know, it's like, I want to say only the Mets, but then they come around five years later and they didn't even like do anything wrong and hired the best person, and they still got like, stabbed for it you know so it was like i'm like i somebody's gonna have to break the curse right like at some point yeah if this isn't the um if this isn't the backdrop for a for a magical miracle season i'm not sure what is <laughs> yeah no yeah they're ready right in the script so uh yes so oh, hopefully yeah. for you guys it follows through <laughs> all right well justin thanks so much again for coming on everybody thanks for listening you know where to find us anywhere you listen to podcasts if you enjoy, please subscribe. You know the whole spiel by now. Uh, we'll be back very soon. Uh, until then, let's go Mets. Justin, thanks again. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Let's go!